Hey everyone, it's JD. Um, thanks for tuning in. This is the second episode. Got my dad on here with us tonight, and we're uh, discussing the topic of hell. Um, this is our first attempt at doing two people on a podcast. So we did have a little bit of echoing in it, so it gets better as it goes, but just a little bit of a heads up on that. But uh, enjoy, and here is Marky Mark. Can you hear me? All right. I can hear you. We're all set. All right. Let's get started. Thank you all for joining us for the uh, second episode of J.D. Sack of Relige. Special guest co-hosting tonight, um, Mark Davis. Uh, Mark, can I call you Mark? Is that? That's fine, but I'm not a co-host. I'm a. Oh, Uh, well, tonight you (laughs) will be. We get to do the topic that you have been talking about for about 10 years now. Um, remember, this started back when I was in college. I guess it was like 2009, 2010. And you got on this kick about hell. And I'm pretty sure I told you you were crazy. And maybe everyone else you talked to about it said the same. But in my infinite wisdom, as I've gotten older, I've come to see that you maybe weren't as crazy as I thought in this category. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically just going to go through um, hell in a nutshell and the beginning part would just be what the general understanding of hell is with modern Christianity, which is a place of eternal torment. And what you have said is that that would be the biggest lie ever told. So you want to kind of go from there on what you think the biggest lie was? Well, I think the biggest lie was the first lie. And it's still working so well. Um, it's still in use. However, I think the keeper of the lie, instead of being the original uh, one that gave the lie, which was the serpent, the keeper of the lie now is basically the church. But uh, the first lie was in the garden. And um, in Genesis 2, yes. God had explained the results, the consequence of sin in a perfect environment. And of course, they'd never seen death. They'd never seen anything like that. In the very next chapter, the serpent shows up and challenges what God told him, said, you won't die, but you'll live forever. Be like God. You'll you'll be, be like God, so you won't die. So now we have a choice whether we believe we are mortal and will die and be dead or we're immortal and will die, but still manage to live somehow. So that colors almost everything else you read in scripture or almost anything is so foundational, so fundamental, whether you're a more immortal or mortal. God says you're mortal. He's the only one that's immortal. He, he offers a gift of eternal life. But we don't possess that gift. We need that gift. We don't have it. So we're very much mortal. And the enemy tells us we're immortal, and that's what we run with. And so yep. that's, uh, to me, the in a nutshell, the greatest lie we're told is most ingenious lie. Um, and it keeps on giving today. Very true. Okay. been doing this research and looking into this topic. I've noticed the theme is that the penalty of sin is always death in the Bible. When there was a group of people or an individual that was out of line, the penalty for them was death. 
Um, there was never any kind of torture or any kind of eternal torment. And also, Jesus referenced it multiple times that he was coming to give the gift of life. And you touched on this, but it's hard to give someone something that we already possess. So the idea that he was coming and giving something that was out of this world, which was eternal life, implied that we don't have that eternal life to start with. And the translations that you'll find for soul, what we consider an external being outside of a body, um, an internal existence outside the body, I guess is a better way of putting it, which is our soul is what we've translated into like modern usage, really comes from two words that you find in the Bible. And the Hebrew word for it is nefesh. And that one is translated 11 different ways. And so you get that when God talks about breathing into Adam and he became a living, the word would be nefesh or a living soul is how it's translated. Um, but you said in the making the fish of the sea, it's um, and that there were living you nefesh know, in the ocean. And so that word has been turned into an external, an eternal being when really it was been described throughout the Old Testament as throat, as life, as body, as, you know, any kind of living entity. And so we just kind of took this word and turned it into this, you know, everlasting, you know, being that we all possess. And it wasn't. And in the New Testament, you see the word suke. And it's a, let me look at my notes. <coughs> Excuse me. Times in the New Testament. And it's translated soul 58 times, life 40 times, and then a bunch of different ones, heart, heartily, us, you, a couple of times each. But it's the same idea. They went ahead and the translators decided to use this word. At the time, I don't think had the connotation of being an internal being, but we kind of morphed that into what, you know, what we know as a living soul now. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, thank the, you for the, back up. We, you uh, hear <laughs> um, the eternal soul concept. You hear that all the time. And it's, uh, it's completely made up. Um, you just don't find that anywhere in Scripture yeah. that we're eternal souls. Um, so, uh, yeah, and carry on. Yeah, one of the ones that I thought was fascinating, Matthew 16, verses 25 and 26. So it's the same word, suke, and it says, uh, For whosoever will save his suke or life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his suke, translated life, for my sake shall find it. And then 26, For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his suke? And in this instance, it's translated. That just seems weird to me that you would have the same word in the same group of you know sentences and translate differently and make it into something about losing your eternal life when it's plainly just talking about you lose your, your own life because you know if the whole point is there is nothing after this if you you know you don't accept the gift of eternal life then what's the profit you if you gain the whole world but the other one, and you were, you've nailed on this for 10 years, the word hell is kind of the same thing. You, you initially said, you know, even when in the King James was translated in 1611, the word hell meant something completely different then. And what was that? Well, yeah, the word hell meant to cover. Um, 
and it was used in those days uh with they had thatch roof houses they would hell their house they would cover their house with thatch you know with that make a thatch roof or uh helling potatoes you know digging potatoes so the those words were used in different ways um so hell just in a literal way means to cover it's like grave it's a grave um so if you die, you uh, you go to hell when when you are buried, basically, but you don't know it. Um, so yeah. that that word, if you were to change the translation to grave where you found it in uh, the New Testament, it'd make a lot more sense. And that's really mm-hmm. what they were intending in 1611 uh, with with the word hell, um, really meaning grave more more times than not. Same word as Sheol in the in the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew word Sheol, and it was it was Correct. translated grave many times as well. But um, anyway, yes. and even in the modern translations, it's now all grave. But you'll show Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, and there's one instance where Tartarus was used to describe hell. But the idea of like you touched on, the initial lie was that you don't die when you rebel you know instead you will live as gods and knowing right from wrong you'll live on forever it has turned into the biggest fear tactic that the church has used to coerce and control people it's no longer the main goal to get people to have a relationship with jesus the main goal now is to save your soul from hell and you know that's the motivation for getting people to do a lot of things, including mission work. But you'll, you'll see, you know, people just don't want to go to hell. But with that, you know, theology or belief, you get some really, really weird, you know, spinoffs from that because people have a hard time accepting eternal torment. Um, you know, it's the shotgun style wedding of, you know, you have a, a, you know, a loving God who's all loving, all, you know, all knowing, and he wants to give you eternal life. He gave his son so we could have this relationship. You accept, and it's wonderful. And if you reject, no big deal. You'll just burn for all eternity in an absolute shit show of torture. So it's that is sometimes tough to grasp from someone that hasn't been indoctrinated from the start. And so you you get these people asking the questions about like, well, what about what about kids? What about you know, you know mentally challenged people what about people that never heard or all this thing you know all these things so you start getting these weird theologies that come from it with the catholics you get you know infant baptism that protects them until confirmation and you know in the protestants you get the age of accountability to where they're not you know they don't worry god's merciful he won't he won't send them to hell until they reach a certain age where they can be held accountable for their sin and I don't know if you have anything to add well, to that. Well, you know, and you also start redefining words. I mean, death doesn't mean death. Mm-hmm. Um, death right. just means separation from God or uh, a existence without a body, which has never anywhere in the scriptures can you find any example of anybody existing without a body, even including God himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he prepared Adam's body yeah. before he gave it his breath and his life. Um uh, anyway, Jesus had a body. The Father has a body. Every you know, everyone has a body, and no one exists as, apart from a body. So, we just redefine mm-hmm. words to make it fit what uh, is is we're, we're, our beliefs are. Um, 
And the other yep. point you made, um, I just lost my train of thought, which happens a lot at this age. But uh, <laughs> it happens at every age, I believe. No, I was gonna. I forgot one of them. I think the most fucked up one is the predestined view, the Calvinistic view, which is even if a baby dies, well, God knows if they were gonna accept or not, and they're already predestined one way or the other. So that's how you can justify, you know, babies going to eternal torment that never lived, but you know, maybe a few minutes on the earth. And so you have to have these things to justify you know, the absolute worst ending that you can imagine that most people that have ever lived will experience. And, you know, one other thing, this may be in your notes, I may be getting ahead of you, but what I was thinking of was, you know, the penalty of sin was death. And Jesus came Mm -hmm. as the perfect sacrifice to take our place and and die for us. And then Mm -hmm. was raised from the dead for us. If the penalty was eternal torment, mm-hmm. conscious suffering for eternity for our sins, then really the payment I believe Jesus would have to pay would be to go and suffer eternal torment for us, take our place. Mm-hmm. He took our place. So if he's going to take our place for the penalty of sin, and the penalty of sin is conscious eternal torment for eternity ever and ever, he would have to mm-hmm. go do that for us. So, but what he did is he faced death on the cross and he was that perfect sacrifice and fulfilled the penalty of sin, which is death. Um, Mm -hmm. But he conquered death. So that's why we have the hope of the resurrection. But um, if we didn't, that's, I think that nails it. So anyway, carry on. No, that was, that's absolutely a fantastic point with that. Um, No, but I think. Paul in, I was trying to find it, in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about this death really, really well. And it starts at verse 42. Um, he talks about, so, so is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable, but, is ra- what, but what is raised is imperishable. And it is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. So there's a big distinction, distinction he's trying to make that there is obviously huge confusion with the Corinthians at the time that they didn't even believe in a resurrection. And I think that was also a sect of like, what is the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. Right. And so he's still dealing with it with, you know, hangovers, obviously from Judaism, but he's explaining this whole thing about, no, there's absolutely two different bodies. And there's a first man, Adam being a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So you have Adam, which was a living being with a human body. And then when Jesus was raised, he was the last Adam and he's a life-giving spirit. So there's your distinction between the two. And he's obviously giving that to people that accept the gift. And it's not something that you are inherently born with. Correct. And you know, the, the other thing, when you go from, trying to imagine which really we we really can't imagine an eternal conscious suffering um Mm -hmm. but when you go from trying to avoid that at all cost to enter into a living intimate relationship with our creator with our heavenly father that's all that that's such a contrast so if it's uh you mentioned the shotgun wedding it's 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 the kind of idea that, well, yes, you know, God can manipulate us so very easily. He knows, well, he knows every button we have. He can push them at will. 
he could he could manipulate us to say or do anything he wants. He's God, and we're not. And yet, I think he's chosen to limit himself for the sake of relationship. He's given us complete free will, complete authority to make decisions for the sake of relationship. He's um, he's gone at great lengths so that what we have with him is real. It's not contrived. It's not manipulated. It's not forced. It's not a promise of goody goodies. It's not a threat. It's an offer of, of an, of an intimate relationship with our creator, most incredible offer in the universe, but it's only real. If we come willingly, if we come into this relationship apart from fear now, it may start as fear where, you know, we're, we're, we're fearful and we're scared and mortals and all that stuff. But he wants us to come. He, he gave us an offer of love and demonstrates it over and over. Uh, you know, I just always say this when I have opportunities at weddings or whatever, but he offers relationship in, in human relationships to learn about him. So you think about your earthly father, you think about your children, if you're a father or a mother, you think about your best friends, you think about your brothers and sisters, you think about the people in your life that you, you enjoy true fellowship of a relationship, a, a, a joyful relationship. And you think about this, it's, it's the best thing we have on this earth. Well, he, he wants us to learn that that's what he has for us with him. Only this is our creator. This is our maker. This is the one who knows us better than anyone. This is the one who gave his life for us, that we can rejoin him in what they had at the very beginning. So when we present it as that offer, apart from trying to scare people to death, um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a game changer. Yeah. And I've also you know, I've thought about this a lot because I remember very, very distinctly, and I'll never forget it. I think I was maybe 10 some kind of missionary that came in and spoke at Sunday night church. And he spent the 30 to 45 minutes. All he did was describe what hell was like and the pain and how your skin wouldn't completely burn off, but it was just on fire and you would be moving around and you just could never quench this, you know, pain and torment and you're thirsty the whole time. And like, he just went into great detail and literally just scared the shit out of me. I remember coming home and like laying in my bed when I was 10 and just thinking over and over, how do I know I'm not going there? Like, what uh, do I need to do with the prayer again? I would been, but you know, start doing the checklist of things. And it just, it sends you on the path of not wanting to go somewhere instead of the relationship side. And the thing I'm excited about for like Addie and Ellen, that they won't ever have that part to deal with. They won't ever enter in a relationship with the fear that they would be tortured forever if they didn't obey or the fear that they would be sit apart from God and in the worst pain possible if they, you know, didn't follow a step correctly. And instead you just get to introduce them to a relationship. That's just there. There's no strings attached to this. It's just, if you want this here, it is, it'll be the best relationship you can ever imagine. And it's completely free. And so it's, uh, I'm, I don't know. I think I just, like people will say, well, you know, we don't talk about hell or it's there. Yeah, we don't really know. There's not a ton written in the Bible. But I think that basis of how you view God, what your belief is in this topic is so important to how you move forward, how you communicate, what you're willing to talk to him about, what you're willing to discuss or think about with him. Like, I think it affects everything. Well, it does. It, it's it's foundational. And it, it um, 
and you know really this whole idea of a, a conscious torment it, it's really a doctrine of demons and devils this is a slander against mm. the character and nature mm. of our heavenly father it is a horrible horrible slander against him and um i mean i i taught i believed it taught it and dealt with it for many years until i just couldn't couldn't you know just put all the cards on the table i gotta know the truth here this something's wrong this just doesn't sound like you because i got to know him mm-hmm. it's like it's like when somebody shows up and tells you something horrible about your best friend it's like eh, i don't think that doesn't sound like you know that doesn't sound like him I, i'm mm-hmm. you know you just kind of almost instantly reject mm-hmm. something like that well, it, it's kind of got to the point where, you know what, this just doesn't sound like him. This just, this just, this just in his nature. Uh-oh. Hey, yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Are we still on? No. I was breaking up there, Dad. I hope that, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> I hope that was so now? good. I hope it recorded all that. Are we back on? Yeah, I could hear you now for sure. It was jumping around. I think so. We'll see. If not, I'll have to make you uh, do a short. I can't remember. I can't remember. I'll just splice it in. (laughs) Dear God. (laughs) No, I think that's what you were saying. Hopefully everyone got to hear it. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Let's see. I mean, I'm trying to think of anything else on the, the topic. Oh, one thing I did want to discuss is like we touch on it barely, but throughout the entire bible you will see punishment from god was never torture of even the most despicable kings it was always you go and you put them to death and if he was going to give judgment especially old testament times to a wicked individual wouldn't it kind of mimic what he was Mm -hmm. going to do to them internally if that was his nature I mean, wouldn't that make sense if you would say, okay, capture this one alive, and then we're going to just, you know, skin him and then slowly burn him until he dies. And then I'll take care of him for right. eternity after that. But it was always, it was always quick. It was always, it's death. Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. was death. You know, you see these things. It wasn't ever, you know, and so I, I feel like if it was going to be consistent with his nature of eternal torment, that he would be cool mm-hmm. with torturing people on earth yes. as well. You know, I was thinking, um, I don't know when people think about who have you led the line and led anybody to the Lord, but I remember one time I was talking to somebody years ago and, and he just said, all right, tell me what I got to say. And immediately I started mm-hmm. thinking, you know, we tell people pray this prayer after me. And it's like, it's like, then you'll be okay. And I'm thinking, I told him, I said, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm not, you know, you just need call out to God and just say what you want to say to him. And and I just left it at that. And when I mm-hmm. when we separate, you know, the conversation was over. I thought that's the weirdest thing you could ever tell anybody. You know, it's like he was asking me, "What do right. I, you know, what do I need to do?" And I just wouldn't. I just thought I'm not going to give him words, the sinner's prayer, or anything. it just it just for some reason it didn't seem right. appropriate. And it's like you know what you this is between you and God. You call out to him and. Y'all, he'll he'll work it out from there and and it's it's going to be personal it's going to be mm-hmm. you and him and um so anyway i i think a lot of times we're we just want people to say this prayer so we know they're out you know they got that fire insurance and we and we're and we're Correct. we're missing the best part we're missing the the real thing and it's uh, yes um yes we don't need fire insurance we need life insurance i, mean, I think 
Right. Right. And like, it's so much more powerful introducing them some kind of incredible relationship other than when you start off like, do you know if you die today where you go? You know, are you going to be burning or are you going to be with Jesus? You know, that's, you know, you started on that and it's just, it immediately fear takes over and it's, then it's defense. Or is it, she's like, Hey, I just want to tell you about this incredible relationship on a spiritual side that you can experience and nothing to it. You know, it's, he's, he's there. He's wanting you. It's just, you just have to reach out and you can find this relationship. And of course people will help you through this, but if that's the only, you know, quote unquote apple that you're offering Instead of, you know, we just are so desperate to get them in. So once saved, always saved. Okay, good. That's one less person that'll burn for eternity. You know, and that's our motivation. Then we don't care about seeing them grow mm-hmm. in a relationship and actually enjoy mm-hmm. the fruits of that relationship and, you know, benefit from it. It's okay. We did our job. He's saved. Now go find a, you know, a local church and get plugged in and start giving and serving and mm-hmm. doing, you know, all the stuff because you're so grateful you're not going to burn in hell for eternity. It just has turned everything backwards. It has. It's a hell of a lie. Yeah. It is a hell of a lie. That is exactly right. Well, I, I really don't have much more. Do you have any ending? Oh, I tell you what, I take that back. I did want to touch on, we didn't go through like revelation or second Peter talking about, um, you know, the great white throne of judgment where the second death, I think that's an important one to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, that was one reading through Revelation every year. Um, when I get to the great white throne, there were just several things that jumped out at me that didn't just square up with what I'd always been taught and believed. I mean, I and taught others. I can't act like I've always known this. I haven't. Um, but there are a couple things there that made me wonder, too, because it talked about. I was always taught the second resurrection at the end of the millennium, at the end of time or on this earth, that, that it would be just the lost people. Uh, you know, everybody raised from the dead at that point would be lost and then thrown into that burning lake of fire for, you know, to burn forever. But then when the books are opened, it made a comment. Those it said those that were not in the book of life were thrown into uh the lake of fire. And it's like, wait a minute, I thought everybody was thrown in there. You know, it's, so it made me stop and think, these, mm-hmm. these aren't all lost people then. What's going on here? And uh, then it talked about mm-hmm. death is thrown in the lake of fire and hell is thrown in the lake of fire. It's like everything's thrown in there. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, right. they're, they're, how can hell be? You know, that's what they're supposed to be in is hell. So just a lot of things uh, about that little section just never did square with me. And it talked about the second death. And it's, you know, all these things are thrown like fire. That is the second death. So you have a second resurrection and a second death. Well, so these people were raised, so they'd had a first death, right? So that's why they're, you know, they're raised from that first mm-hmm. death. And now they're throwing this a second death. So once again, we're back to the penalty for those that weren't found in the book of life. And I, I have some ideas about all the people that were found in the book of life, which maybe we'll do that another time. But the, the thing good. is, we're back to Genesis 2 at the very end of Revelation and that is those that were not found in the book of life at the second at the second resurrection then experienced the second death and I think they're dead so mm-hmm. the penalty for sin is mm-hmm. death and we see that that's what happens in the very end to those that aren't in relationship mm-hmm. with God 
Yeah. And you know, that the part they'll bring up, well, what about the wailing and gnashing of teeth part? And I mean, my thoughts on that, and you can correct me for sure, but if you find out the actual truth that there is a God that had this wonderful plan of relationship right there for you to take, and instead now you will be put out forever, I feel like being thrown in, there would be some serious people that would just be so distraught. You would hear the wailing and gnashing. And that, you know, that phrase was used to describe like anguish, not so much pain. It was more just like distraught. Well, I think anguish, I think Jesus is, used is that. that I have to go back and look at that whole thing, but I think he used that in quoting, uh, you know, Isaiah, or it's a quote from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to actually go back and look at the context of that quote from the story in the Old Testament, right? And then pull it into what he's teaching, and I think it would make sense exactly what that was all about. But um, that would be a good uh, mini study someday. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that covers it. Uh, Not a bad effort for our first little uh, dual podcast. It only took us, I think, 78 (laughs) attempts to get this thing connected. So um, we'll, uh, we'll get better at this and hopefully do another one with you. But thanks so much. And yeah, like always, Enjoy. Thanks for listening and I'll see y'all in hell.